And so, God, we come before you this morning and we thank you for the gift of your precious word that you have given to us. And Lord, wherever we are on the journey of faith this morning, I know that you long to meet us personally right where we are. And so, come Holy Spirit, do your work in our hearts and our lives now, we pray. And we ask this in Jesus' Name. Amen. Please be seated. Church, we are really blessed to have Pastor Matt coming to share God's Word with us. Matt leads our city service. He's also now our operations pastor, just newly. So can you put our hands together and welcome Matt as he comes to share God's Word with us. Yeah, good morning. Great to be with you. And uh, if you're online as well, this is the first time I've ever preached with a catwalk. And uh, you'll be happy to know at the 8am I didn't use it, but you never know. You just never know when the Spirit moves, what could happen uh, here this morning. Uh, the 25th has come and gone. How did it go? Staring down the barrel again of another year rolling over. I remember thinking in 2010, man, 2020 is so far away. Like what, how the world will be different in 2020. And it's already finished. We're looking towards 2030 now. I know that that feels like a long way away, but it'll be here before you know it. And uh, most sermons at this time of year uh, have something to do with the new year. Uh, maybe looking back, but often to do with the new year, new year's resolutions, uh, clean slate, blank start, blank canvas, except for all the days that have gone before it. I'm a bit of a cynic when it comes to the new year's stuff. I mean, I don't understand how on the 25th of December, you know, uh, we're going to get healthy. In, we're going to get healthy in 2021. We're going to do all the right things food wise. And then 25th of December, you're just hoeing into the pavlova at Christmas lunch. That doesn't make sense. What, what, what changes from the 25th of December to the 1st of January? That's, that's what I'm thinking in my head. Somehow, magically, we have this motivation. But anyway, I want to ask you, what are you going after in 2021? What are you going for when we, when we you know, put our mind towards it? What are the things that arise in your heart uh, in that particular moment? What are you setting your sight on? What, what does it look like for 2021 to be a, a good year? Uh, for you. Over the next uh, two weeks, at least, maybe more, we're not sure, we're going to do a, a mini-series, which we've given a really corny name, so you'll be able to remember it really easily. Uh, we're calling it New Life Resolutions. Don't worry about New Year's resolutions. Jesus has some really good words in Luke's Gospel that are about life, uh, not about New Year's resolutions, New Life Resolutions. Over the next two weeks, we're not sure, maybe more, we're going to look at some of Jesus's words Listen to them and see how we can have some new life in, uh, in 2021. So we're going to go to Luke 9 today, 57 to 62. And I'm just going to pray uh, before we do that. Uh, living Jesus, you're alive, you're in heaven, but you're alive. And we come to you right now and we ask that you would speak to us, that we would see you and that our hearts would be changed and transformed as you speak. Amen. Okay, uh, Luke 9:57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, said to Jesus, "I will follow you wherever you go." Jesus replied, "Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head." He said to another man, "Follow me." But he replied, "Lord, first let me go and bury my father." Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said to him, I will follow you, Lord, 
But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. These are really challenging, hard-hitting passages. So I actually just wanna read them again. I'm gonna read them again and listen to them again and let them hit your heart with the full ferocity. Luke 9, 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. These are challenging words to us this morning. Jesus is inviting people as he's walking along the roads to come and to follow him. To follow Jesus means to see who he is, to walk with him, to watch him, to see what he does, to see his character, to see the heart that he has. And Luke has grouped three interactions, three invitations that Jesus makes to different people together. They probably happened at different times, but Luke's written them all together in this particular uh, moment to make a point. As these three individuals hear the invitation from Jesus to walk with him, to watch him, they have a concept of discipleship that comes from their Jewish understanding of discipleship. They, they understood that uh, some people would be disciples of a rabbi. And so that's what their understanding of discipleship was. But Jesus is breaking that category of discipleship in this moment. To be a disciple of Jesus is different to the picture that they had in their head. And in these dialogues, Jesus clarifies what it means to be his disciple. To be a disciple of Jesus means this, to exclusively, without reserve, without hindrance, to follow him. Uh, you might've heard of the guy Virat Kohli. If, you've, uh, if you follow cricket a little bit, Virat Kohli, he is probably the best uh, cricketer in the world at the moment, the best batsman at least, uh, just a phenomenal player. And as competitive as they come, highly driven, a very hard worker, they say, about Virat. So much natural talent, but just an incredible, uh, incredibly hard worker. You do, you do not get to be the best cricketer in a country of one billion without a bit of hard work, do you? I mean, cricket in India, if you've been there, you'll know, they live and breathe cricket. It's played everywhere. My wife and I were walking through all these different places in India and there's just cricket games going on everywhere. It is more than a religion. It is a cult in India, uh, cricket. And at the moment, uh, so Virat's the top. He's the captain of the Indian cricketing team, probably one of the best players India's ever, ever put out. And at the moment, there's a four-match test series against Australia and this is pretty much as tough as it gets for India. It's the pinnacle of their cult. 
Playing against Australia is, is the, the, in a test match, is the highest that you can get to. So Virat, he's the captain in this very pinnacle peak of the sport in this moment. And out of the four matches, the four test matches that they're playing, five days, mind you, a test match, if you didn't know that, that's a long game. They've got four of those. Virat is missing three. The captain, their best player, the best batsman is missing three tests. That's unheard of. That is absolutely unheard of. He's not injured. They haven't ruled him out for, you know, because of match fixing or anything like this. The reason he's not playing is because his wife's having a baby, their first child in India. And uh, and Virat said, look, I don't care about playing at the pinnacle of this thing that I love. I am going to be with my wife as she has her first child. And in India, this is creating a bit of a debacle, particularly after they got bowled out for 38. There's a whole lot of contention around this issue now. Uh, people are saying, Virat, what are you doing? You need, you need to be a part, of the, a part of these games. Virat said, no, this is what I'm doing. There must be something very important for happening if Virat's gonna miss three test matches against Australia. The significance of what Jesus calls these people to let go of in these moments serves to punctuate the absoluteness of his call for them to follow him. Nothing is left um, um, above the call that Jesus is making. He is laying bare in this moment these three individuals' hearts. See, each of them had things that were holding them back from following Christ, from seeing who he truly was. As good or important as these things might seem, to the extent that they were going to stop these individuals from following Jesus, from seeing who He is, Christ will call them to let go of it. Christ will call us to let go of them. The first man would follow Jesus as long as he could retain security and comfort in the world's structures of security. A Jewish rabbi, his notion of following a Jewish rabbi, these Jewish rabbis would have been welcomed into every city and town and and would have been staying in comfortable, nice, often luxurious places probably. Uh, The rabbis were revered, they were held up. And so this guy's saying, well, yeah, I'll follow you wherever you go. But Jesus is saying, look, following me, being my disciple is different. To follow me will require that you will Uh, you'll have to let go of the security and the comfort structures of this world. Following me is not a road paved with comfort, the comfort that the world knows of. Later on in Luke, Jesus is speaking about money and about possessions to uh, a group of people, including some Pharisees. And this is what we read in 16, 14 verses 14 and 15. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus as he was saying how possessions aren't important. Jesus said to them, the Pharisees, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your heart. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Have you ever read that verse? What the world values is detestable in God's sight. The first man's ability to see Jesus was hindered by his desire for wealth, for comfort, for security in the world's security structures. 
The second man wanted to follow Jesus and also at the same time live up to the worldly, cultural, social expectations of him. The duty, it was duty in those days for a son to bury his father. That was what, it was essential to the Jewish culture that the son would do this. It was an expectation of him to not do so would have brought so much shame to his name, probably to the name of of his family as well. And Jesus is saying to follow me, to be my disciple, means foregoing the ability to meet the expectations that the world have and put on us. To submit to the claim of Christ on our life above every other claim that might be put on us by others. The second man's ability to see Jesus was blocked by society's expectations of him. The third man would follow Christ as long as it didn't put him against his family. His family had a claim on him that was higher than Christ's claim on him. We're not really familiar with putting our hand to the plow. Uh, but you might be familiar with this. No one mows their lawn on a hand mower, right on either actually. No one uh, mows the lawn with a hand mower looking behind them, do they? You're not gonna get very far mowing the lawn like that. That's the exact analogy that Jesus is saying here. To follow Christ requires an undivided attention. Not holding Him as one of many things that we equally desire going wholeheartedly after Him alone. Matthew 10, 37. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. The third man's love for his family was holding him back from being able to follow Jesus, to see who Jesus was. Can we put ourselves in these people's shoes just for one moment? I wonder today if any of these things hold your heart, hold your desire more than Christ does. Security, the need for a particular standard of living cultural, social, maybe religious expectations even to cast a particular image, to gain a particular status based on your career or your actions, to be seen as as something, to, to meet the expectations that people have on you. Family, a love of family that surpasses your love for Christ. Something else, it can be anything. The desire to be right the desire to be seen as righteous, to be seen as a, maybe a good Christian, the desire to, uh, it could be anything. Anything that holds out, captivates our attention, holds our desire more than the person of Jesus Christ. We hear this, what Jesus is saying here, and, and we can think that he just sounds like a boss constantly asking more of us. Do you think that? A ruler just asking his subjects, more, more, you've given me this, now more. I want more of you, work harder. You gotta give up more for me. 
Why is he so demanding? Do you feel like Christ is being harsh here? For a long time to me, the call of Christ seemed just like constant self-denial for the sake of self-denial. The Christ, you know, this Christianity, it just seems so arduous, so hard, always giving up these things, costly. You know, Jesus is saying, you gotta give this up, now, now give this up. All the things that our heart so naturally attach itself to. I wonder if that's how you feel this morning as you read these passages. Now, this is what Matthew 10, 44 says. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. With joy, he sold everything he had. Anything he could muster, he sold it with joy. Not, oh man, I've got to sell this. Not a burden, not arduous, not, oh, this is so costly. With joy, he sold everything he had. Why? Because he'd seen the treasure of the kingdom of heaven. It was of utmost worth. It was far more valuable You see, the invitation of Christ to these people, to us this morning, is not just lay down your life. Self-denial is not an end in itself. That's Buddhism. The invitation of Christ is lay down your life and follow me. What we might hear as harsh and demanding, as, as costly, as ridiculous, is nothing other than the most loving thing Christ can ever do for us. To invite us to true life, which is to see who He really is, that He is more glorious, more worthy, more worth than anything, anything, more valuable than anything. C.S. Lewis has a great analogy that helps us understand this in his book, The Weight of Glory where he says that Christ finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are creatures of desire. You will live based on what you desire. You will follow what you want to do 100% of the time, every single day. Your actions will reflect what you believe every, every day of the week, every minute of every day. C.S. Lewis gives the analogy, he says, Humanity, uh, we're we're like, um, our desires are so weak, it's like we're making mud pies in the slum, not being able to imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the beach, at the sea. We're, We're sort of playing in all this stuff, which we think is really awesome, not knowing that it is nothing, it is it, it's, it's less than, it's, it's totally second rate. Christ is inviting us to a holiday at the beach. For Christ to call these individuals to follow him over and against 
their desires in this moment is the single most loving thing he could ever do for them. I wanna tell you, Christ only does what is good, only. He cannot do evil. Uh, 1 John 1, not sure the verse, this is the message we have heard about him, God from Christ, that in him there is no darkness at all, only light. No evil, only goodness in him. And I want you to get this, to the extent that Christ's call to surrender all seems outrageous or arduous or against us, to the extent that that is how we feel, we do not see that he is the ultimate treasure. We do not see that he is the pearl of great worth. We do not see that he is the treasure in the field worth selling everything to get. We need a greater vision of the beauty of Jesus Christ, church. To desire him above all else is eternal life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. Do you believe that? Jesus himself says it here in this passage. He says, let the dead bury their own dead. In other words, whatever it is, however important it might seem to you, however your heart might be desiring it in this moment, however dutiful or, or admirable or good that thing might be, if you are not following me, you are dead, you are not alive. To the extent that I am not the object of your affection, you are dead, not alive. The goal of God's work in us, the goal of Christ coming to this world, the goal of his salvation is nothing less than this, that we would choose him, that we would desire him above everything, that our vision, our heart would be completely captivated by his glory, by his splendor, what Christ wants for us this morning, what He wants for us in 2021, what He wanted for us in 2020 and 2019 and 2018 is the exact same thing that He wanted for these individuals, that we would desire Him above all, that He would be the object of our affection, of our attention, of our desire. That anything which stops us going after Him would be removed. I need you to know this this morning. This is a loving invitation. Please hit, don't, please don't hear me wrong this morning. The call to surrender all for Christ is a loving invitation from Him. He says this in love. I know we hear it with offence, but He says it in love. He is good. He does want your best. Your best is in Him. There is no life outside of Christ. Uh, so what does it look like for us to respond to Jesus' inv invitation today? I mean, we're not gonna go and walk and follow Jesus literally on a road. What does it look like for us to do this today? Uh, one way that we could respond is what might be labeled a theoretical surrender. And it goes something like this. We say to ourselves in our head, if Christ calls me to give so-and-so up, then I will. It's, it's theory, 
but probably our hearts are really still holding on to other things. Because I wanna ask you, if you've said that before, how often has Christ actually then called you to give so-and-so up? That mentality is us theoretically trying to jump through the hoops of Christ's demand that we hear whilst holding tightly onto what we really love. That heart does not believe in the goodness of of Christ's invitation. The heart which is truly responding to this invitation will say, I want to know this Christ. He is claiming to be the goal of all of my desire. I wanna know that. I I wanna test him, I wanna see him. Is this true? Could this be true? That I've been playing in the mud and he's been offering me a holiday at the beach. Such a heart might give consideration to what Christ is saying here and it might say, I'm not sure I have the strength to give up everything to follow Christ. That's fine. Christ knows that. In fact, at one point in time, every one of us will be at a point where we cannot. Our flesh is not capable of surrendering what it desires because we live according to desire. We must have something that we worship. We are all worshiping something. But the heart which responds to Christ's invitation, rather than walking away, it presses in and it says this. This is Andrew Murray, theologian from the 1800s. He says, God does not ask you to give the perfect surrender in your strength or by the power of your will. God is willing to work it in you. Do we not read, it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. Philippians 2.13, and this is what we should seek, to go on our faces before God until our hearts learn to believe that the everlasting God Himself will come in and turn out what is wrong. He will conquer what is evil and work what is well-pleasing in His blessed sight. God Himself will work it in you. We cannot give up all by staying focused on the things that our hearts are desiring, that Christ is calling us to give up. We must have a revelation of the treasure of Jesus Christ. What we need is faith, belief that the call of Christ is good, that whatever He is saying, it is the right thing to do. Belief that He is for us and not against us. Belief that His word to us is love. Do you have that faith here this morning? Let us go on our faces before God asking for the Holy Spirit to reveal the beauty of Christ to us, to increase our faith. And once we've done that, Christ will speak. It won't be a theoretical surrender. He will call us to practical steps of obedience because he's committed to us. Practical 
steps of obedience to surrender the things that stop us from following Him, seeing who He truly is. Real actions, specific things, not theoretical. And because He has grown a faith and a belief in His goodness and in His love towards us, we will do them. And our vision will be further consumed by who He is and we enter into a cycle of obedience. We see the beauty of He is. He calls to us. We step out and we do it. And as we step out and we do it, on the other side of obedience, we see more of who He is. And He calls us to more, deeper and deeper and deeper. Jesus was not just having fun with these people. He's not just sort of messing with them, you know, don't go and do that. Christ is actually working this morning to win the affection of your heart. James 2.20, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Is there anything that holds first place in our hearts above Christ? Maybe we don't even know whether there is. He is committed to calling us out of it. He is committed to winning our affection because He wants life for us. He has come to give life to the full. To the extent that there are things that stop that, that hinder us from seeing truly who He is, the beauty, the all-consuming beauty of Him, He will say, leave it. Let it go, surrender it. We worry, we say, oh, but if I, if I surrender that, if I, if I obey him, what, what will happen then? What about this? What, what will that person think of me? What about my security? What about my comfort? What about, what about what will my family think? Christ knows that. His call is simply this, follow me and all of that will make sense after obedience. You see, we try and work it out before we've actually been obedient to Christ. We, we, we can't, we can't work, it won't make sense. On the other side of obedience, all of those things will make sense in our life. They will be put right. Jesus says, follow me, see who I am. You know, in 2020, people set out chasing a whole lot of things, pursuing a whole lot of things with a lot of vision and saying, I'm going after this this year. And how fragile was that? We need an object of our desire that is not come and go, that is not susceptible to moths or rust or disease. We need an object of our desire which is eternal, which will lead us into eternal life. And the encouragement of God's Word this morning is that Jesus is it. He is the treasure of all worth, Him alone as a person. Will we follow this year? Maybe you've been following for many years. Another year to go around the sun, hallelujah. (laughs) Another year, let's see more of Him. Let's be more obedient. 
He is the treasure of all surpassing worth. And when we see that, letting go of these things, as we set our eyes to Him, that it won't be costly. It won't feel burdensome and arduous. It will, but on the other side of obedience, we'll say, why was I holding on to that thing so tightly? I need Jesus. I need Jesus. And so uh, I just encourage you this year, as, as Andrew Murray says, let's go on our faces before God. If you don't know how to surrender, that's fine. God knows that. Come to Him. Ask for His Spirit to give you such a vision of Jesus Christ that you will pursue Him and Him alone. Uh, let's ask now even the Holy Spirit to do that in our hearts as we pray together. I just uh, trust and believe, Jesus, that you have been speaking to people here this morning because you are committed to us. You are committed to us. You are committed to us having life. Every single person sitting here. And maybe as you've spoken and you've said, hey, there's this, these things that are getting in the way of me. We, we, we hear that and we say, oh, God's, you know, He must be judging me. He must be. He must be so against me. Thank you, Jesus, for showing us that while we were against you, you were for us. While we were hanging you on the cross, you were loving us, interceding for those putting you there. And this is who you are. This is who you always are. And so I pray, Lord, that as the conviction of your Holy Spirit comes this morning, we would not... Um, we would not sort of come to you and say, oh, you know, like he's so against me because of this. He is for you. He is for you having life. The call that you made to these individuals, Jesus, was a call of mercy, of grace, of love. I know that there's these things holding you from me, but I've got life for you. I'm willing to help you let go of them. Just come and follow me. Be obedient to me. Trust me. Have faith in me. It is hard, Lord. It does feel like death when we let go of those things. But on the other side of obedience is fullness of life. And so I just pray, Holy Spirit, this year, even this morning, just as we're in this moment now, Holy Spirit, show us your Son. Show us the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Show us His beauty. Show us His splendor. Show us His heart. Because I know, I have seen it in my own life that as I see you, Jesus, it is you that I desire. It is you that I want. Not just saying that, actually wanting you pursuing you. So Jesus, thank you that you sent the Holy Spirit and I pray Holy Spirit, even now in this moment, over the days to come, the weeks, maybe this year, however long it takes, that we would stay with you until we see that Christ is the greatest treasure, that He is the pearl of all worth. 
And as we do that, we would be led to pursue you. We would come out of sin, come out of death and into newness of life. Thank you, Lord, that you've been doing this across this year in many people's hearts. What a beautiful, another year, Lord, another day, another year to pursue you, to see your greatness. We're gonna be spending all eternity doing this, learning about how glorious you are. And so as Moses prayed, we pray this morning, God, show us your glory, that our hearts would be fully captivated by who you are, that this year would be a year marked in this church, in our hearts, as a year when we set out to pursue Jesus Christ, to see Him, to follow Him. And I pray these things in your mighty, powerful, more than able name. Amen. Beautiful. Uh, We're gonna stand, we're gonna sing a song which says that Jesus' name is beautiful. It's the name above all names. And I just wanna invite you in this moment to allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you, to show you that He is the one above all. He is the name above every name and to move into the life that comes as He does that. Let's sing this song together. You are the word at the beginning, one with God, the Lord, most high. You're hidden glory in creation, now revealed in you, our Christ. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful
for us as we stand on the cusp of a new year. Uh, this is God's heart. In fact, my reading this morning in Encounter with God actually said these words. It says, Modern culture encourages us to see our faith as a kind of hobby, an optional extra that sits on the side of real life. And we sometimes fall into the trap of seeing it that way too. How wrong can we be? And the prayer underneath it said this, Lord, forgive me for the times I've viewed my relationship with you as a sideline. Help me to seek first your kingdom. This is God's heart for us. This is our heart as a church. It's so true that, that Jesus is the treasure. He is the prize. Better is one day in His courts than a thousand elsewhere. And so this is our prayer this morning as we move into 2021, that He will capture our hearts more and more, seek Him more. Whether we're just exploring faith, just here this morning exploring faith, this Jesus is the treasure. I wanna tell you that. Or whether you've been on the journey of faith for many, many years, you'll know this truth, that He always is our heart's deepest desire. He meets the deepest needs of our hearts. I wanna pray God's blessing for each and every one. Lord Jesus, You are beautiful. You are wonderful. You are amazing. And Lord, it's so true. It's worth giving up everything else in this world just to gain the treasure of knowing You and Your love and Your hope and Your peace in our life. Well, this is the message of the gospel. And I want to pray for each one. Here may be some here this morning who are exploring faith and are looking to know that joy and peace in their hearts. Well, I pray even this morning that you reveal to them, Lord, your great love for them. Lord, for others who've been on the journey of faith for some time, this will capture our hearts afresh as we move into this new year. We'll be so aware, Lord God, that you are with us, that we will seek you first again, that we wouldn't let anything sideline you from being front and centre in our lives. And we pray that for our church, us as a church as well, Lord. May this be the, the call of our hearts, the cry of our hearts for this year ahead, to know you more deeply, great God, to seek to know more of your presence here in our midst and in our lives. This is our prayer. And so we tell you this morning that your love, it is better than life. It really is. And so we seek you, we pursue you with everything we have. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone said... Amen. Please be seated. If you'd like prayer, do come and see one of the pastors. We'd love to pray for you this morning. Just a reminder too, we're heading out through the side doors today and we are back at 6pm tonight. You're so welcome to come join us again. Thanks so much. God bless.